All right, so as these guys are, are passing the offering buckets around, uh, today's a very, very special day. So uh, this morning we have uh, Daniel and Hannah Reed with us, and uh, these guys are, are a couple that I've known for, for several years. I don't even know how many years. I don't want to say how many years because it makes me feel old. So I'm not, I've known them for several years. They're part of Oakland Heights Baptist Church where Pastor James DeCoker uh, is the pastor. But they were also, Daniel was also, I don't know if Hannah was. Was Hannah part of the church plant? Daniel was part of the Connect church plant years ago that Oakland Heights planted. And Daniel was a part of that team. So he's, he's had church planting experience He's had ministry experience at Oakland Heights. He's led their, their college ministry for a number of years. Uh, and now God has called them to surrender all and to be available for God's mission. And so this morning, we have the privilege of having them in. He's going to share a little bit of his testimony and his story uh, about God has called, calling them into the, the field of missions and what that looks like for them. And then I've asked him to actually preach to us this morning. I had an opportunity to go to Kenya a couple, uh, I think it was two years ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, we were preaching to pastors, and uh, Daniel was on that team. And uh, man, this dude, like, I mean, I've heard him teach, but man, God really used him in that, in that conference. And I was like, man, that dude is maturing in the Lord and maturing in the Word of God. He's a skilled student of God's Word and, uh, and we're just blessed to have him this morning. And so he's going to come this morning. Hannah, if you just wave to everybody, Hannah's over here. You can, you can uh, she's giving the, the pageant wave. So uh, uh, when we get done today, I want you to make sure you spend some time and get to know these guys. But give him, give him a hand as he comes, and we're excited to hear his story. Love you, bro. I'm going to raise this up just a little bit. My eyes are not as good as they used to be. Mon? You guys hear me? All right. So thank you. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, I'm humbled and honored to, to be here. Like everyone's been so loving. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a blessing. I've actually, I've known Jay, I don't know if he remembers this. He taught some beach retreats when I was in high school. <laughs> I know he didn't want to feel old, but it's, we've, known, we've known him a little while. Um, but let me just, let me tell you a little bit about myself, and then, then like you said, I'll, I'll get to the preaching, but, you know, I was born and raised in church, you know, born in the Bible Belt, uh, but I, I don't think I really ever understood what it meant to have a real relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I went off to college, I went the way of the world, and found myself just completely broken, and, you know, I was at 21 years old that I'm wondering if, if I'm even saved, so I was just so convicted of my sin, and I just found myself desperately wanting Jesus to, to fix this mess that I had made of my life. So, you know, I did that. I called upon the name of the Lord anew and uh, really, you know, I wanted him to save me from my sin. I wanted him to save me from myself and to, to, to make something meaningful out of my life. And, you know, things were different from that point. I would like to say it was smooth sailing, but there was a lot of stuff that God needed to fix in my life. And some of that was through the chastening of the Lord. And, you know, as, as painful as that was, it's, it's like Hebrews 12 said, you know, it's, it's grievous at the time, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Uh, you, you younger folks, or maybe some of you older folks, I don't know where you're at, but I say that like the school of hard knocks is not the easiest way to go, but it's effective. And I found out that I'm really God's son because he loved me enough to correct me. But I can say 1 Peter 3.17 is true. It's better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know, the the suffering for evil doing, you know, it's not fun, but you can rejoice when you suffer for well doing because that brings God glory. So God's been really gracious to me, 
you know, we are the first family that's being sent out of our church, you know, for the purpose of long-term foreign missions, and uh, we're planning to do a missionary internship, and, you know, I, I've done some preparation for that at Connect Church. Actually, I completed the ministry training and leadership training process, and, you know, I got to lead our college ministry, uh, you know, probably for close to four years. It started, I, I was helping someone lead that ministry, and they asked me to take over that ministry at Oakland Heights. Obviously, I at Connect as well, like, I, I got to do a little bit of everything from, from preaching to mopping the floors, like, that's just church plant life. But let me tell you about how we got from just being involved in ministry at a local church to uh, feeling like we're called to missions. I think it's a hard attitude that was cultivated through going on mission trips. Obviously, many of you guys know the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We're, we're called to go and teach all nations. And you should be wondering what your involvement is in that. But through going on short-term mission trips, man, God really got a hold of my heart. And this, the same way for my wife, Hannah. But Lamentations 3.51 says, Mine eye affecteth my heart. You know, going to the field and seeing the need firsthand just really changed the way I felt about it and changed my willingness to go. It was really on a trip to Morocco where it really clicked for me, just the fact, and I don't have time to share all this, but there was a couple things I experienced that opened my eyes to the fact that there's places where there are no Christians. And everybody probably knows Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what about Romans 10, 14? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And after seeing that with my own eyes and you know, having my heart affected by that, seeing that there are nations of people who have not believed because they have not heard, because they have no preacher. So that, that affected my heart, and we, we're willing to go just, just through going on short-term mission trips. So I encourage you to do that if you've never done that. But also, we needed something else. We needed direction from the Word of God. It's not just about, you know, a, a fuzzy feeling. You want God's Word to teach you and to lead you every step of the way. So, you know, I, I would be so excited at missions conference every, every year. That was my favorite time of the year. Our church would, would do some form of surrendering to go. You know, one year it's, it's come up to the front and say you're surrendered to whatever, whenever, wherever. One year it's like fill out this, you know, little paper to say that you're surrendered to go. And we're doing that, but... At some point, I had read Acts chapter 13 in my personal reading, my, my personal time with the Lord. If you're not fam familiar with Acts 13, it's where they send out Paul and Barnabas from the church of Antioch. And what, what happens here is the leaders of the church are, are praying and they're fasting. And the Holy Spirit of God moves them and says, separate Paul and Barnabas to a work that I've called him to. And, and through that, God just really showed me the authority of the, the local church in sending missionaries. You have the model church, and this is the model for sending missionaries. So through that, I just really knew that God was going to work through the leadership at my local church if, it, if there was ever going to be a time that we were going to go. So it was actually kind of took the pressure off me, like, I don't have to worry about it. I just need to be faithful. I need to be prepared. You know, I had some conversations with my pastor about my willingness to go but I told him, I'm, I'm not trying to send myself. Like, if, if the day comes where God leads you guys to send someone, I got, I'm available, I'm willing to do that. But I, I think 
That's, this is what God showed me through his word. This is, this is how I know that he's going to work. This is how it's supposed to be. And, you know, I've since heard teaching on Acts 13. It's like, duh, yeah, that's how it works. But at the time when I, when I read that years ago, that was new to me. And I was like, this is how it's supposed to happen. So years had gone by. James and I had had conversations about this. But in November of 2021, he asked me to go out to lunch. And this was right before our son Griffin was born. Hannah was super pregnant. It was like two weeks, I think, before Griffin was born. And I didn't know. I just thought it was something about ministry at Oakland Heights or something like that. But he told me about the Brandon Smith Scholarship that, you know, there had been a lot of money raised and that Joe McKegg had reached out to him and they were looking for, for people that were good candidates that were, that were willing to go. And he said, you know, I know you guys are about to have a baby. Does that change how you feel? Does that change how you're surrendered to go? And I told him, you know, abs- absolutely not. Like we're, we're willing to do whatever God wants for us to do. And he said, I want you guys to start praying about going to do an internship and applying for this scholarship and pray about where you would go and when you would go and, you know, how long you're going to wait after your son is born. And I was like, man, this is, this is how God told me it was going to happen. It's happening. So I already knew God's given me some direction from his word, but I was like, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll pray about this. And it was crazy. Sometimes you get Sometimes it takes time to get an answer. Sometimes you get answers quick. I got an answer the next day. I was in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and in this, David is, you know, passing the torch to Solomon. He's charging him to build the Lord's house. It's something that David desired to do, but God told him no. But David did get to do the preparations. He got to lay the groundwork. He got to gather the resources, and he talks to Solomon about this. You know, he talks about the silver and the gold, the iron, the the timber, he's the workmen, you know, all the skilled laborers that are needed. It's all there. He tells them to go and build the Lord's house. He tells them in verse 16, Arise therefore and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. And man, this just really jumped out to me because I just had a conversation with my father in the faith, and he's talking about, man, there's these resources available. And I want you to pray about, you know, to go and do the Lord's work. And then I read this passage of a father-son conversation where he's saying, all the resources are here. Go and build the Lord's house. Arise therefore and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. So, you know, I felt like we, we had our answer. God's saying, yes, move forward with this. And, you know, Griffin's born right after that. We kind of just survived for a few weeks, like with a newborn. But that, just, that verse was on my heart, arise therefore and be doing. I was like, God, I don't, I don't even know what to do? I don't even know where to start with this. What, like, what do you mean? What do you want me to do? So I was like, what, what can I do? We applied for the scholarship, and we started praying about a list of places. We started reaching out to missionaries in those places, and I got approved for the scholarship. It was kind of funny, because I was like, I don't know where we're going, and you know, I don't, I don't know what we need, but God's told me to, to be doing, so I'm, like, I'm going to do some stuff. And they were like, okay, well, let us know where you're going when you find that out, and give us a budget. We'll see what we can support you at. Um, but I just, you know, I was trying to st- take the steps that the Lord had directed me to, to take. And, you know, eventually that list got narrowed down to India. And, you know, my pastor was in agreement. This seems like a good fit. We had a heart to go preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. So, 
everything seemed like it was lining up. And uh, to give you some more specifics, like this is my last week at my job. We have listed our house and it's under contract actually. So it, we're selling that on July 31st. That's basically a done deal at that point. I mean, at this point, and God actually gave us a lot of direction about selling our house as well. I don't have time to go into it, but there were multiple witnesses from my reading. Even your pastor preached at Oakland Heights, and we were like, oh, God is just moving us. This is what we have to do. So we, we thought we were all set to leave August 7th to go to India, and uh, we just found out this week that uh, you know, the internship we thought we were going to do is no longer going to be an option. So we... Uh, are in a, in a unique spot. We're in, we're in a trial right now where we're praying, God, where do you want us to go? We know you've led us to this point. You know, it really caused me to reevaluate the things that he showed me over the year. Did God really want us to take these steps? And after, after doing that, it, it really, uh, you know, if anything, it just strengthened my confidence in what God has called us to do because I got to the point where I was like, if God hasn't showed me these things, then I've never had God speak to me through his word. And I know I have a relationship with the Lord. I know he speaks to me through his word. And no circumstances are going to cause me to lose my confidence in the Lord and the mind of Christ, which we know we have through the Holy Spirit and the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I would ask you guys, please be praying for us because we have some things to figure out. We have some things that we need the Lord to show us, but we're confident that he will because he's been faithful to us every step of the way. And even when things, I've had times in my life where it looked like things wouldn't work out and God had a plan and God hasn't changed. So I... I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. I'm, I'm going to shift gears here uh, into the preaching segment. And this is, this is also interesting because the, the passage I'm going to preach out is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. But this is one of the passages that was confirming that God wanted us to sell our house, that God wanted us, you know, to, to really uh, burn the ships and, you know, leave our life behind in Cartersville, Georgia, and be willing to go where he's called us to go. So that was why it was on my heart to, to, to teach this to you guys. And that was even before I found out uh, the circumstances this past week. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 14. And I've titled today's message, Your Best Life Now or Then. And in this passage, we'll see the Corinthians versus the apostles. And this title is, it's inspired by the, you know, famous prosperity gospel preacher Joel Osteen in his best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. I don't know if I'm allowed to be sarcastic. I think so, because I know Jay. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's a lot of wacky doctrine going around. And sometimes it seems like the, the bigger the heresy, the, the bigger the church, and that's something that shouldn't surprise us. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, 
and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul is telling Timothy, his son in the faith, you know, a time's coming where people are not going to endure sound doctrine. You know, they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're, they're going to turn away their ears from the truth. And I think we can see that playing out in this country, even in this community. God's word said it would happen, and, and it's happening because that's how it works, because God's word is true. But let me, just, let me just read you a couple quotes. One from Joel Osteen. God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. That sounds nice. Is it true? Kenneth Copeland says you'll get spiritually rich and you'll get financially rich in your relationship with Christ. Amen. The list could go on and on of, of false teachings and those are obviously some extreme examples, but I think even in more normal churches, even where we do have sound doctrine, I think as Laodiceans, we have a tendency to stray towards a self-centered mindset when it comes to our relationship with Christ. I think we have a tendency to think that we don't have to sacrifice anything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm certainly not saying that, that God can't or doesn't ever bless people with physical blessings, but what we're going to see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is God's word paints a very different picture of what it looks like to wholeheartedly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see two examples, the Corinthians and the apostles, and they're actually very different. And that's a problem because the Corinthians were supposed to be followers of the apostle Paul. He says this later in the chapter. You know, he says in verse 15, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff. And he's saying there's, you don't have a lot of fathers. You know, the apostle Paul planted that church at Corinth. He led these people to the Lord. And he tells them in verse 16, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. They needed to follow the right example. They needed to follow their father in the faith, and it'll be clear as we get into the text that they were not following. And today also, as we, we see the example that the apostles set, we're going to have a chance to count the cost of following Christ. And I know many of you know this through the cost of discipleship, Luke 14.33. Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said that it's it's going to cost everything to be his disciple. And certainly that was the case for the apostles. And I will say that this passage is, is coming right after teaching of the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're not familiar with that, you should just read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the first part of 1 Corinthians 4. But there's coming a day where all of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to evaluate us. He's going to judge us for what we've done with what he's given us. And this isn't a judgment for our salvation. He paid for our salvation at the cross. But this is a judgment for our works, what we've done with what he's given us. And for some people, it'll be a time of reward, and it'll be a time that they get commended. For some people, it'll be a time that they suffer loss. So that's, that's the context of this. That's where we're at coming into this passage. So let me just read it, and we'll jump into this. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 14 says, now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, 
that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made, we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, and are the offscouring of all things to this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Let me pray for us really quick. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your worthiness. I know for all you've done for us, for how good you are, anything we could suffer for you is worth it. And I pray that you just open up our hearts to hear the teaching of your word today. I pray that you use me as your vessel. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be powerful this morning in the teaching of your word. I pray that we would be willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the Corinthians. Verse 8 gives us a little sarcasm. And this also makes me feel better because there's sarcasm in the text today. So I can be a little bit sarcastic in the title. It says, now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you. So the the statements, it may seem like a compliment, but he's not complimenting them to tell them that they're full and that they're, they're rich that they've reigned as kings. And truly, many of them were living comfortably. If you know the history of Corinth, it was a very wealthy city, rich in trade. But we'll see in a second that that is not the indicator of success that we might think it is. Also, the Corinthians thought they were doing really well. They thought they were killing it. But Paul is speaking sarcastically here. He's about to bust their bubble You see, that they had a problem. They were commending themselves instead of humbly seeking to be commended by the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see is they misjudged themselves. And this is really apparent from some other verses in the chapter. If you look at 6, in verse 6, there's some things that Paul and and Apollos are, are trying to show the Corinthians. He said that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So they had problems with, with thinking of men more highly than they ought to. They had problems with, with being puffed up, with being prideful. He said in verse 18, now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come unto you. Just mentioned again that, that they're prideful, they're boastful, they think highly of themselves. And we'll see in a second that they, they actually weren't doing that great, even though they thought they were. They just lacked humility. And that's not the person that you want to be in Christ. And that's one of the things that's being addressed, actually, with the teaching of the judgment seat of Christ in chapter 4. That's why they're being told in verse 5 of chapter 4 to judge nothing before the time. You know, I can see that one getting taken out of context, right? Like, you're you're meeting for discipleship, and your disciples like, how you been doing this week? And, well, brother, judge nothing before the time. Like, no, that's not what it's saying to do. This isn't saying to avoid self-examination. Because actually the previous chapter, also talking about the judgment seat of Christ, says, take heed how you build thereupon. 
You've got to pay attention to what you're adding to the foundation of Jesus Christ. God wants us to be aware that some things have eternal value, some things don't. So what is he trying to tell them there when he says, judge nothing before the time? You've got to know the problem. They needed to be able to do self-examination without commending themselves. You know, you should be able to examine yourself without getting puffed up. They needed to stay humble. They needed to know that judgment was coming before the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was the one that had the authority to commend you, to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Christ's judgment is the judgment that matters. And we may fail to recognize it now, but I assure you, we'll see it then. We should see it that way every day, though. But I wonder if we, like some of the Corinthians, are a little bit delusional when it comes to how we see ourselves. You know, that's, that's actually one of the defining characteristics of the time that we live in. That's what the Laodiceans do. Jesus speaks to the Laodiceans, which is the period of the church that we're in today. In Revelation 3, verse 17, he says, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the Laodiceans are kind of similar to the Corinthians. There's some similarities in those statements. Now you're a fool, now you're kings, now you, you know, you're rich. The Laodiceans say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. The Laodiceans think they're doing great, but Jesus is pointing out there's, some, there's something that you don't know. Jesus can see the truth that they're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But despite that wretched state that they're in, they think they're doing great. Being delusional, is that's the average Christian in this time that we live in. And we need to wake up. We need to open our eyes to the truth. We need to not be an average Laodicean, or we need to not be like the Corinthians were in this case. They thought they were killing it, but their lives actually didn't look anything like the people they were supposed to be following. So my next point is that they failed to follow. If you keep reading in verse 10, you see there's some differences. And once again, he's not complimenting them here when he says, we are fools, the apostles, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. You see, there, there's some differences, but he's pointing out that they're, they're failing to follow. And you, you, you may not think that right at first, but this is using some of the same words that it just used back in chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. If you want to flip there, you can look at it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this part of it. But it's talking about the people that God has called, the people that God is using for his mission. He says, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know, some of the, some of the same words there. Ye are wise in Christ. Ye are strong. Ye are honorable. But who, who does God use? Well, he's chosen the weak things, the foolish things, the base things, the things which are despised. You see, there's these two categories here that are being laid out in chapter 1, and he's repeating those two categories. He's showing them, hey, this is you guys. This is the example, the, the people that are really following Christ. 
there's some differences here, and, and there shouldn't be. Why does, why does God do things this way? Why does he use the weak and the foolish and the despised things? Well, it's in chapter 1, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Because all the glory belongs to God. Similar statement in verse 31, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, none of the glory is supposed to go to us. It's all supposed to go to God. We are not to glory in our flesh. But clearly the Corinthians were doing that because they were puffed up. They were actually prioritizing the things that would hinder them from being able to be used by the Lord. You know that they were commending themselves, but they also were seeking the things that would make them people that would be commended by the world. I wonder if if we're doing the same thing. You know, I think the typical Laodicean is trying to straddle the fence, trying to maintain the status they want in the world and the comfort, trying to maintain the relationships with the world that they want to have. But the truth is that following Jesus Christ just might cost you all of those things. And if it hasn't cost you any of those things, you know, we have to question, are we really following? You might be like the Corinthians. They were missing it. They were living the high life. So Paul draws attention to some people who are really following Jesus Christ and what that looks like. So let's look, let's look at the example of the apostles. And what I want you guys to see here is that following Christ cost them everything. You know, what, what type of position was given to the most faithful servants of the Lord? It says in verse 9, they, they were set forth as last. You know, in every worldly ranking system, last is the worst. These were the men directly sent by Jesus Christ. They witnessed the resurrected Christ in the flesh. He trusted his mission to them. They were the lowest esteemed people in the entire world. That doesn't jive with our Laodicean thinking, right? Well, if you don't like that, you won't like the next part. As it were appointed to death. It doesn't sound like they were healthy and wealthy. You know, and if we look to history, which this is extra biblical information, but in this case, it goes along with what the scripture says. These guys died horrible deaths, you know, brutal deaths. The only one that I know of that history would tell us wasn't martyred is John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Now, I'm not saying if you're not murdered, you're not following Christ. I think. We're in a unique time where we have religious freedom in this country. We have protections in in our laws that allow for religious freedom. I mean, that's amazing. Praise the Lord for that. We're able to gather here and meet and teach God's word openly. I think even outside of this country, too, like Americans get away with some stuff that other people may not get away with. You know, I think in a lot of circumstances, the worst thing that might happen to a missionary is they're going to get kicked out. Because it would bring so much attention to kill the American that let's just get them out of here. But certainly people are dying for their faith all over the world. And we may not always have the privileges that we have right now. I did meet some Christians on a trip to Nepal that had survived real murder attempts. You know, we, we went on a trip uh, with TTI to, to view the work that the Lord is doing in Nepal through through that organization. And one of the guys we met, one of the directors, his name was Krishna. And he told us 
about a time where he was speared through the leg and ran for his life and fell off a cliff, you know, because of being persecuted for his faith, because of sharing the gospel. And his son, John, people had also tried to kill him at one point. They tried to, to stone him, you know, to, to kill him by throwing rocks at him. It, you know, some of that stuff is so foreign to us, it's, it's hard to imagine. And they had to, some friends of his kind of hid him, and he had long hair and a beard, and they, they shaved it all off and were able to get him out of that area because he looked like a completely different person. But they spoke of their heart to reach their country with the gospel, and they said, some of our blood will have to be spilled to reach our country. And when you hear a, a man say that, that, that's what Christian has said, when you hear a man say that, who's already almost died for the gospel, you know that he means it. And he followed that up with, we are ready to spill our blood. We're ready to die to reach our country with the gospel. We're ready to die to follow the Lord. You've got believers like that, and we struggle to preach the gospel here because people might think we're weird. You know, how, how weak sauce is that? And I know that we have privileges and protections here, so it, it may not look the same, but I also know 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If it, have, if it hasn't cost you anything, are you really following the Lord wholeheartedly? It says the, the, apostles, the apostles were a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. They were a sight to be seen. They were unique. And what I want you guys to see from this is your life shouldn't look just like everyone else's as a believer, as a follower of Christ. Your life should be strange. 1 Peter chapter 4 uses that word strange a few times. One is in verse 4, talking about how the lost world views us as wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So when a Christian lives their life and abstains from some of the things that the world has to offer, people think that that's strange. People think something's wrong with that person. But then it uses the word strange again in the context of suffering. Verses 12 and 13, it says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Man, so our lives compared to a lost person should be strange. But we also need to be prepared that suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ is not strange. And one day we'll see that it was worth it. Paul's telling the Corinthians to follow him as he followed the Lord. You know, they had all these instructors, but they had not many fathers. And it's clear that somewhere between when the church was planted and when this letter was written, they had stopped following. Because it seems like their relationship with the Lord had cost them nothing. But it cost the apostles everything. Keep reading with me. We'll finish this part quickly. Uh, following Christ cost them you know, their, their worldly status. You know, while, while the Corinthians thought highly of themselves and were probably respected by the world, the apostles were fools in verse 10. They were weak. They were despised. And you've got to decide what's really important to you. You know, do you care what the world thinks about you? Because if you, if you get this right, it's not going to matter what the world thinks. This is where Paul was at. He said back in verse 3, it's a very small thing 
that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. He didn't care what anyone thought about him other than Jesus Christ. Because he valued Christ above everyone and everything. You know, some of the apostles naturally fit into that category of the weak and foolish things. Some of them were ignorant and unlearned men. But that was actually not the case for Paul. We know from Philippians chapter 3, he speaks of how he, he could have been confident in his flesh. You know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the elite religious leaders under the Old Testament system. And we also know from Acts 22 that he was freeborn as a Roman citizen. That was a big deal at the time. He had rights and privileges and opportunities that other people would not have had. See, Paul could have easily maintained his status and been successful and respected in the world system, but he didn't value any of that. He valued Christ. He was willing to forsake everything in order to, to win Christ. That's what he says in verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And there's a man that, that paid the cost of discipleship. It cost him everything. He gave up everything because he valued the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think as Laodiceans, we get it backwards. Instead of forsaking the world to win Christ... We forsake Christ to win the world. How often is what we want more important than what Jesus wants? How often is what people think about us more important than what Jesus thinks about us? We can't function this way in our relationship with Christ, and we'll see how grievous of an error that is at the judgment seat of Christ. The apostles were men that got this. They were willing to forsake everything. They were also willing to forsake their, their physical comfort. If you keep reading in verse 11 and 12, it says, Even unto this present hour, we both hunger, thirst, or naked, buffeted, have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. And it's speaking about the apostles collectively. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 11, 20 through 28, we won't go there, but Paul experienced all these physical hardships himself. Some of these things are what we would consider to be basic needs, you know, food and water and clothing, a certain dwelling place. You know, I enjoy having a certain dwelling place. There's no place like home, but is Jesus worth that? They were buffeted, they were struck, they were hit, both physically and spiritually, if you look through the scriptures. Are you okay with that? On top of that, they labored with their hands, you know, and, and for Paul, he was a tent maker. We know that he still did that while going around and planting churches, even though it talks about in chapter 9 that pastors should be paid for the work that they're doing. You know, is it, is it a great thing that we should give them carnal things for the spiritual things? That's a good trade. But Paul was okay with not accepting that for the sake of the gospel in order to maximize his effectiveness. These were guys that were all in. It cost them in their relationships as well. Just look at, look at their interactions with the world. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the offscouring of all things into this day. 
So as they were reviled, as people spoke with contempt and hatred to them, they respond by blessing. As Jesus says to do in Luke 6, verse 28, to bless them that curse you. As they were persecuted, they suffered it. And the temptation here would be to not suffer it, to stop doing the thing that led to the persecution. But we are to keep doing what Christ has called us to do because we've armed ourselves with the right mindset. We know this isn't a strange thing to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. It says they were defamed and they respond. They responded by entreating. You know, when, when people spoke things about them that were not true, they would entreat. And that's not a word that I really ever use in my day-to-day speech. But it, it means to, to ask earnestly. And the same Greek word that's translated here as entreat is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, as beseech in the context of us being ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So the way we entreat with the world is as ambassadors for Christ. It's God negotiating with the world through us. You know, we are here in Christ's stead. And God is using us to tell people the truth what he's done for them, so that they can be reconciled to God. And what, what were the results of that for the apostles? Well, they were made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things. You know, they were the last of us. You know, the world, the world will think that you're trash, but it doesn't matter what they think. We're here to display the sacrificial love of Christ. And, man, I know that sounds tough, is that what you want? Is that what you want for your wife and for your children? I can tell you it doesn't sound appealing, but is Jesus worth it? And with all this, I'm not saying you need to seek out suffering. You don't need to self-inflict pain. Just follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Just know what it might cost you and be willing to pay that cost. Paul concludes the thought in verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. See, he's given them a warning. He wants them to be prepared to stand for the Lord, to stand before the Lord. He wants them to have an abundant entrance into his kingdom. And I say that we heed that warning today. I say that we examine ourselves and wonder, are we the typical Laodiceans that are delusional about ourselves, that are misjudging ourselves, that are failing to follow, but we think we're doing great? You know, are we actually willing? Are we actually willing to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? You know, are you willing to trade all the stuff that this world has to offer, especially for us, where we're at, for the sufferings of Christ? You know, are you willing to trade the things you can see for the things that you can't see, but that God's Word tells us about? I want to just leave you guys with a quote. It's by a man named Jim Elliott, who was martyred in Ecuador in 1956. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, if, if you really follow Christ and you're really all in, the world's going to think that you're a fool. But I'm telling you, if you invest in eternal things over temporary things, you are no fool. If you don't care what the world thinks, but above all else, you desperately desire to be commended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you are no fool.
Let me pray for us. God, I love you. I am a, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. I'm so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. You're worthy of everything that we have to give, Lord. I pray that we would all be willing to do whatever you called us to do. I pray that no matter what it costs us, that we wouldn't shy away from the faith, that we would be all in for your mission, that we would be all in as your servants. I pray that you would help us to be able to stand before you and be commended. Because I know that that's what I want. I think that that's what these people want here is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So whatever needs to change in order for that to happen, I pray that you you change it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, that was good. You know, I, I hear, I hear that sermon, and I look at this sharp contrast between a church and apostles. The Corinthians were a local church, right? I mean, they're just like us. They're just a local church. And, and they had been given so much, and they had been invested in. They had been taught by the Apostle Paul himself and, and his team. They had been highly invested in. And yet they looked nothing like the man that God used to bring them to salvation and to spiritual maturity. And that's a warning to us, and, and, and not because of who your pastor is. It's, it's a warning to any church that has a biblical authority that if we're not careful, man, we can, we can be a church but not be like Christ. That's dangerous, right? It's, it's dangerous. And I appreciate the word, man. It's a, it's a warning. It's a challenge. Because just like the Corinthians, we live in a culture that, that values the wrong things, the temporal things in life, truly. We, we do. We live in a city, by the way, that values the temporal things. This city is not like some poor, impoverished, you know, African village with no water, no education, no electricity, no anything. As a matter of fact, I think we have everything and more that we need in this place. We have more than most places have in this place. We have more opportunity, more economy, more, more money, more convenience, more comfort, more pleasure. Man, we, we live in a place where, where truly it is hard for people to realize their need for Christ if they're lost, but we also live in a place for Christians where it's hard for them to count the cost. Because, because the truth is, we have accessibility to many things. And those things are just temporal things. And so, you know, as Daniel was preaching, I, I got reminded of when he was talking about how, man, there is a perversion of the gospel and how so many times guys go to the Bible and preach this prosperity message because it feeds their flesh, right? It, it feeds their own desire and their lust. And, and the Bible talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul's teaching his son in the faith, Timothy, on how to be a man of God, how to be a, a pastor. And he talks about false teachers and, and men that teach other things. And he says in, in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 5, that there are men that are perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. They don't teach a biblical truth concerning the gospel or God's word. 
and, and they teach that gain is godliness. The more you have, the, the better God's blessing you, right? And he gives a warning in 1 Timothy 6, man, listen, culturally, biblically, the people that land there, withdraw thyself. Because he says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you know, any of you that have ever been to my house know that we don't park in our garage because we can't. Like, I got more junk in my garage than, than well, I don't know if I got more than you, but I got more than I need. How about that? It, it, in a culture of gain, most of us are falling susceptible to that. We're, 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 we're misjudging many times our material wealth and somehow equating that to spiritual blessing and maturity. And even as a church, we have to be mindful of that. And, and man, I appreciate this brother sharing this because, because God even put him in a situation now to even more prepare him, I think, to give this message. Because, because hey, this is what I thought we were going to do, and now that's even off the table. And we don't know what the next step is. And now I don't have a job that I've already... He's already trained his replacement, and they've hired, his company's hired his replacement. He's a nurse. He's a really good nurse, by the way. And, and, and he's trained his replacement, and at the end of this month, I think, is, is when you... Are you done? This week, he's done, he's done with his career. And at the end of this month, he's, they're done with a house. And so what's the next step? Well, well God knows that. God's no, God knows that. And, and maybe you hear that story, and you think, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Well, the reason he would do it is because God told him to do it. And I, and I again, man, listen, I, I'm not trying to just waste time this morning. If you don't have a walk with God, you won't make decisions like that. You'll just make decisions that'll keep you comfortable, keep your status, and keep the, the people in your life that, that you want to have in your life. You'll never truly step out in faith and fulfill what God wants you to do. And I'm thankful, man, God put a couple in, in front of us, man, to just illustrate the, the passage and to illustrate the apostles and ultimately to illustrate Christ. But that's, that's what he did too, by the way. He walked away from all of it to come to this earth to save men from their sin. He was willing to walk away from all of his glory and all the different things, man, to become a man and walk among us, and be tempted just like us, and yet without sin, and ultimately fulfilling God's redemptive plan through his person. And Christ is the greatest missionary there ever is. And these apostles were the greatest human missionaries there ever are. And anybody that ever wants to serve God with their life, they're going to have to experience those things for themselves. So the question is, the question is for us, man, what are you willing to surrender what are you willing to surrender to follow Christ? Are you willing to surrender your status? You say, man, I worked so hard for this field, for this degree, for this education. Okay, man, yeah, you did work hard. Nobody's questioning that. But is Christ worth more? Is Christ worth more than doctor, nurse, engineer, teacher, supervisor? Is Christ worth more than your status in this world? Is Christ worth more than your financial status? Would you be willing to go broke for the Lord's sake? And it's easy to head nod that until you actually have to sell everything you have. 
What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort? I think we, we, we had some pretty good testimony of our mission trip to Zambia a couple of weeks ago. And man, some people shared that they were just hesitant to go. And the reason they were hesitant to go is because, man, I don't know what it's going to be like. Does anybody like to be in control of their situation and their life? You know, I have this app on my phone where I control the thermostat at my house on my phone. So when I'm, you know, these days have been horrible in, in July, humid, hot. And so I just go ahead and before I come home, even though I have it set to a schedule, I just go ahead and kick that thing on about 20 minutes before I get home. Because I, I want to walk in and be comfortable. We have donuts and coffee and we have the air conditioning going and, and maybe we want you to be comfortable. And man, that, sometimes that actually, that actually can become a burden. It can be an expectation that even God sometimes would ask us to lay down for his sake. Man, would you still come to church if we didn't have air conditioning? I'm going to test you on that next week. There's a famous sermon that many of you didn't have the opportunity to be a part of many, many years ago in my zealous and yet carnal years as a pastor. It was called No-Show Sunday. And man, we shut everything down on a Sunday morning with no warning. We had no child care, no coffee, no bulletin, no air conditioning, no nothing. We didn't have any music. We didn't have any microphones. We didn't turn the sound system on. We didn't do anything except have church. And man, you would have thought I blasphemed. People were in a tizzy. Do you know why they were in a tizzy? Because of this message. Because we don't like laying down status, comfort, or things the way that we think they should be done for the Lord's sake. And all it takes is a little bit of pressure to prove it. That's all it takes. I'm not a good plumber at all. There's been times where I've had to fix stuff in my house, the kitchen sink jacks up and I have to replace the, the, some of the plumbing. And it can look really good. I think the glue set and all the things are right. But the truth is, you don't know if you have a leak until you turn on the pressure. And man, when the water pressure feels that line, you're going to find out if you've got a leak or not in that plumbing. And the same thing's true in a Christian's life. Man, it, it's easy to head nod and say, yeah, I think Christ is worth status and comfort and relationships. And I think he's worth following with my life. But listen, you don't get to prove that until the pressure's on. And then what's on the inside comes out. What is on the inside really comes out. And I believe that God would have us consider these things today. Man, I, again, that verse 14, nobody's trying to shame anybody today. God's word's not trying to shame you. Daniel's not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to shame any of us. But man, there is a warning to be heeded, right? There's a warning that if we're not careful We'll just continue to be carnal, just like the Corinthians. Man, at the judgment seat, that's where that thing shakes out. So, and so let's just heed the warning, amen? Let's just heed the warning. We're going to have a song of invitation. And by the way, the song, I think, is called, I Surrender All. Kind of a fitting invitation song, right? I want you to stand to your feet, and, and I'm going to pray for us as we begin to just respond to what God's taught us today. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your man.